And I'll tell you guys since we're, since we're all friends. Every character I write has a piece of me in them. Hi, I'm Lee Bardugo. You're listening to The Grisha Cast. Welcome to GrishaCast, episode 103. In this episode, we will be speaking with a very special guest. This is your host, Eric. And I'm Terry from Nashville, Tennessee. This is your podcast for all things Grishaverse and Grishaverse adjacent. A world created by the very, very, very inspiring Lee Bardugo. Moisavayanyi casters. Hello, hello, hello. Woo. This episode, we are honored to have a conversation with the incredible Liz Huerta. Yay! On March 1st, Liz's debut novel, The Lost Dreamer, will be available everywhere. And without further ado, let's bring in Liz. Hi, Liz! Hi! <laughs> Hi! Welcome to Grisha Cast. How are you doing? I'm so happy to be here. I'm so happy to be on this podcast and just to geek out with y'all. Oh, we are so excited. We've been looking forward to this for months. <laughs> yep. And you've come to the right place. You said geek out. So, yep, it's perfect. So, of course, we've got some Grishaverse questions we need to start out with. So, Of course. I'm ready. Yeah, just a couple icebreakers. So, first off, like, how did you get introduced to the Grishaverse? I think um, just word of mouth back in the day, many years ago, when Shadow and Bone came out originally, um, I picked it up like everyone else. I actually think I saw Lee Bardugo at some event and she signed the book, which I gave, I lent to somebody and never got it back. <gasps> so don't don't lend out your books, everybody, or do it very carefully. Um so that was years ago, and that's how I was introduced to that world. Um, I reread them recently in, prepar- in preparation for this podcast, and yeah, here I am, a fantasy author too. Okay, so if you are comfortable enough with the orders and suborders of the Grisha, what type of Grisha would you be? I don't know if I know how to pronounce it correctly. But the body ones, the corporal, corporal guy, and I'd be a healer. I would absolutely want to fix people because um, that's just who I am. I'd want to heal the sick in my life and just the sick around, especially after two years of pandemic, you know, we shouldn't have a million people dead or more. So I would want that superpower. You can breathe. Everybody can breathe. It's okay. That's really sweet of you. That is. <laughs> you're um, a very kind person because I'm the opposite. <laughs> yeah, you're. <laughs> I, yeah, I'd be the uh, the the heart render. So, eh. but you guys would still be both corporal kai. We both wear red. Yeah, exactly. Right. And I would be a theriel kai, and I would be a squalor. So and Ooh. yes, um, yep gonna be all in charge of some wind and i lose my favorite color so i get to wear a blue kefta i'd be so happy with that that'd be amazing so do you cosplay funny question (laughs) and um so we didn't i never thought i would until we started this podcast and then chris had this wonderful idea that we would 
not only record a podcast, but we would do a video that would go on YouTube. Well, in an attempt to try to get more people to view us, we decided in October, um, the first year, that we would every single episode dress up as a different cosplay character. And ever since then, every single October, we do that. And we have... um, I love that. They've been some very interesting characters. We've done... They're great. They're hilarious. And, um, yeah, so we have done some cosplay. And, <laughs> a lot uh, of gender bending and <laughs> it's excellent. fun. Yeah, we um, some of them are hilarious, and the pictures are really funny. I'll have to show you those later because me dressed up as Ismrude, which is just a random worm that <laughs> is mentioned in one, like, paragraph in the entire Grishaverse. Um, we both, like, geeked out on and turned Ismrude into, like, pretty much our mascot so nice so talking about Ismrude, do you have a favorite character from the series i don't think i have a favorite character as much as i have like a deep appreciation for the ensemble and interconnectedness of the cast Mm -hmm. you know like everybody has their own superpower has their own gift has their own grace but I'm really just a community person. I love community and I love families. And I just love how this like very different group of people come together and just kind of roll deep and roll hard. And that to me is beautiful. That's awesome. Oh, she's the sweetest person ever. I know. (laughs) You're going to definitely have to get into Six of Crows and try that because you haven't read Six of Crows, correct? Mm-mm. Okay, so what you just said, you yeah, you definitely need to try Six of Crows. That is, um, it's incredible. It's Grishaverse. It's a it's the same world, but it's um, I think you'll like it. It's very okay. It's very family oriented. <laughs> so, a fun little game that we play on our podcast. It's called Feared and Mary Kill, and it's based off of that old game you used to play when you're a kid. Um. F Mary Kill. Um yes. so I think it used to be Kiss Mary Kill. <laughs> I guess I grew up in I don't know, I guess a stodgy little part of Nashville. I don't know, but we did F. Um so however, anyway, so we've got three different characters that we've picked from the Grishaverse, and we wanted to play around with you and see if you would be interested in trying. Excellent. I'm in. Okay. So and we'll do the same. So, Furidan, Mary Kill, Alina, Jenya, and the Darkling. I mean, I guess I'd have to kill the Darkling just for the general good of the world. Um, hmm. I would have to... Oh, this is real. I mean, I, know. I think I would have to marry. Oh, my goodness. How do I pronounce her name? The one with the G. Jenya. I would marry her just because um, I'm vain. And I would like to stay beautiful forever if I can. And yeah, if you're in Alina, I suppose that's where I would go. Brilliant answer. Yeah. I'm all about that. I never thought about that part of Jenya. You know, I really like that because I would love for Jenya mm-hmm. to take care of my skin and, you know, just be able to tailor me. And that's a great answer. Oh, no, that's where we yeah, agree. Yeah, I was going to go be vain for a little while, you know. Um, I think, why not? Why not? Exactly. Natural Botox forever, a natural lift. Exactly. Yes. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Oh yeah. See, I, that's where we would agree. I would marry. I would marry Jinya, but the other two would be flip flopped uh, because the Darkling would be fun. So that's your to Fjordan. Fjordan. Mm. So uh, oh, and yeah. I'm always up for a good time. So we're gonna go. <laughs> we're gonna go. Yeah, we're gonna Fjordan the Darkling just for fun. Uh, we're gonna marry Jinya for vanity purposes. And she's beautiful as well. And obviously, there's going to be some Fjordan in there, too, because you're yes. married. Um, and then I'm going to have to kill Lena. Sorry, she's boring. Okay. <laughs> well, see, this is kind of easy for me because, I well, kind of. I've got, um, well, I would definitely have to Fjordan, well, I mean, Fjordan the Darkling. But I also <laughs> want to marry the Dark. Yeah, because I can, f- I would like to Fjordan the, um, the Darkling. And then I can marry... Jenya, because I mean, we can just be like besties mm-hmm. and just like, I mean, you know, she can go and find some lovely person to be with and, you know, can have that. So, are we of- all sister wives? <laughs> yes. Exactly. Of the Grisha verse. <laughs> uh. And then I guess that would leave me killing Alina. Wow. Yeah, we rarely agree on that, so... That is very weird. Yeah. I never thought... I don't think I've ever had to do this one, so <laughs> that is... um, That's hard, but we didn't throw my favorite character in there, Zoya, um, and then things would have been different, but anyways. <laughs> so. Well, thank you for playing along with us and getting through some Grishaverse icebreakers, but let's move on to the real reason why we're here. Woohoo! <laughs> Tell us about The Lost Dreamer, your first novel coming out March 1st. March 1st. Yay! The Lost Dreamer is my young adult Mesoamerican informed fantasy novel. Uh, the story of two young women who have the same gift where they can enter a different dimension when they dream. One is born to a lineage of dreamers in a sacred city of Alcanza facing some patriarchal BS. The other character, uh, her, her name is Indir. The other character, Saya, is born in the wild and has the same gift, but keeps it a secret. And one of them is the foretold lost dreamer who will either save or destroy their world. And you don't really know who the lost dreamer is until the end and how they're connected. And I'm really excited. I'm really excited for the story to be in the world. I've been working on it for a very long time. So it's quite surreal right now. I bet. That's incredible. Well, we will tell everybody that we did get to read this. And it is the most beautiful uh, book. It's very imaginative. It's a whole different world than we're used to. Um, I would love to see a movie or a show on this. Because to see the visuals on this would be absolutely beautiful. It's very colorful. Um, highly recommended by the Gracie cast. So everyone needs to read Yay. this. <laughs> and I agree. It is it is gorgeous. And I I love that it is very unique because it is I've never read any it's not like any other YA fantasy I've read. And it's got a very unique magical system, you know? Um and saying magical system doesn't even sound right, to be honest, because it's not and but I didn't know how else to say it. So it's just it's an incredible book. It the visuals are beautiful. And um by the way, listeners, we do know who the lost dreamer is, but <laughs> you're gonna have to read and find out. 
Um, but it's incredible. It's a beautiful book, and um, yeah, I am amazed by it. So, have have you always wanted to be a writer? Always, I have wanted to be a writer since before I could write. My parents have um, cassette tapes. I would record stories in a Fisher Price tape recorder before I could write, and I would pretend they were. Um, I'd pretend. You needed to turn the page and be like, no, you turn the page because I, that's what I thought you had to do. So I narrated books that I wrote before I could physically write. That's incredible. You did your own audiobooks. Like- I did. <laughs> and I had a lisp. So they're really funny to listen to because I had a lisp and allergies. So I think the one my parents have, it's, it's about a beautiful Pegasus unicorn. Oh, I love it. <laughs> And in the middle of the narration, my baby sister comes in and bites me, and we start fighting. (laughs) Please tell me your parents still have that cassette tape. They do. They don't know where it is, but they have it somewhere. (laughs) And for those of you younger listeners that don't know what a cassette tape is... Google it. (laughs) Yeah. Google it. That, yep. Used to walk around with our Walkmans and cassette tapes. And so... What authors or books helped inspire you to be the author that you are today? And There's so many. Um, I read a lot. I read a lot of Charles DeLint, who writes urban fantasy. Um, I've been reading him since I was about 15, when I turned 15 or 16. Um, weirdly, I think when I've reread The Lost Dreamer, I see so many references to Clan of the Cave Fair and the rest of the Earth's Children books, those prehistoric, kind of prehistoric romance, historical, prehistorical fiction. Those books were really formative for me in terms of um, just really tiny details in world building. So I see a lot of Clan of the Cave Fair (laughs) in The Boss Dreamer when I read it. I can see it. I don't know if other people will see it, but I can see it. Wow. Yeah. That's incredible. That's good to know. Put that on the list of books that need to be read now. Yeah. I they're, they're, I mean, they were so, you know, I, I will say for being, they started to be published in the 70s, but there are non-binary characters, queer characters, polyamorous family units, matriarchal societies, rape is punishable by death. Um, they're really incredible books that were being published, you know, over 40 years ago that some of the stuff that she was writing about, it took the world a long time to catch up. Yeah. It sounds like it's ahead of its time. That's phenomenal. Yeah, Terry, (laughs) I love when, like, people ask about what she started reading. And what's your answer, Terry? What was Oh, it was Stephen King and Anne Rice when I was nine years old. That was was my introduction to (laughs) novels. Yeah, I just went with the covers of the books. I mean, Anne Rice was incredible, incredible. Yes. I read everything she wrote when I was a teen. I mean, that's the whole reason I went goth, you know? Mm-hmm. I was like, I am an immortal vampire. I'm going to wear all black and dance mm-hmm. like a tree. Absolutely. Have you ever heard of Poppy Z. Bright and Lost Souls? No. No. 
You know, I still haven't found anybody that has. It's an it's an incredible um, vampire book that was. Um, it reminds me a lot of Anne Rice, except it's um, mm-hmm. yeah, it's just it was my little goth book that I loved, and it actually had a gay vampire as the main character. He was like this teenager, so I I related to it a lot. Anyway. I can't imagine any vampire would be straight. Honestly, after like a life, after lifetimes, after lifetimes, of like, what wouldn't you want variety? Yeah, an interview of the vampire. When you really think about it, I think was it's just. I never read the book, but the movie. Um, I think it's a really. It's kind of one of the first introductions. I think like a little bit to like queer characters. Like I mean, it was very like. Back then, when Interview of the Vampire came out, it was like, definitely one of the big, like, mainstream novels. And every queer girl ever, like, that read Anne Rice. It was just one of those things that, of that time. <laughs> you wanted Lestat to come into your bedroom and make you a vampire. I mean, it was just one of those, like, queer girl things in the mm-hmm. 90s. Yeah. yeah. We were obsessed. We were obsessed. Obsessed. Yep. <laughs> Those were the days before it became cool, you know. When you could still get beat up. Yes, exactly. Like um, before the Twilight days. Oh. I never read We those. don't talk about that. Yeah. <laughs> so we went on a whole journey together. We sh- and we're going to journey back to yeah. dreamland. <laughs> um, do you remember your dreams and did that help kind of inspire the dreams in the novels in the novel. Absolutely. Absolutely. I actually write down my dreams every single morning. Um, and I have for years and I go to the same world when I dream every night and I have since I was a teenager and there's a cove that my character Saya, um, goes to a lot when she's in dreaming. And that's one of the places I go to over and over and over again. So, I decided, I was like, I'm going to write a short story about a woman who, a young woman who ends up in this cove at night when she dreams. And that's where the lost dreamer kind of started. There was a whole, I mean, there's so many other different ways it started, but that visual of um, Saya in the cove, the cove where I always go, that's where the book started. And I still go to that cove. I was there last week. That's incredible. I'm so jealous. So you dream, so you dream, and you keep going back to the same place. Mm-hmm. And has that happened your entire life, or like it's or happened since I was about probably fifteen or sixteen? And I could draw you a map. You know, there's like there's a Europe kind of land in my dream world. There are these parks I visit. I have this really incredible house there that has all these secret rooms. Um, it's really interesting. So I just go back there and I can kind of gauge my mental and emotional health by what it looks like. If the cove is kind of crowded and dirty and the water's gross, I'm like, oh, Liz, you need to figure out what's going on in your life. Um, and if the cove, the water's clear and it's beautiful and it's not crowded, then I'm like, oh, we're in a good place. But it's really interesting to go back over and over again. My sister, one of my sisters goes to the same place when she dreams as well. That's incredible. Like, absolutely incredible because I, I love dreams. Um, I don't often remember them. I've I've got many different journals that I've bought to try to like have a dream journal, but um, I've never successful successfully been able to do it. The only thing that I can relate to 
with you, how you going to the Cove is um, I know that when I was having a rough period and I was struggling in my life with um, some addiction issues, I and I didn't realize this till later, I always was dreaming of running away from a tornado like Ooh. for like years and years and I'd like have this like and it was different each time but what's crazy is the like when I got sober I haven't had a dream like that since and wow. it's like so it's interesting how our dreams really do have a lot to do with our lives and um yeah so that's neat I love the fact that you have a place that you can return to Terry, do you? It's really cool. I bet. Yeah, I don't. I don't ever remember my dream. But that I'm going to, because of your answer to that, I'm going to skip ahead and ask you, do you think that writing fantasy is much like being in the dream? Oh, hmm. I don't know. I know that a big part of my creative process is meditation. I meditate before I write. Um which is a form of dreaming in a way of kind of accessing a different part of your mind. So maybe it is meditation can be like waking dreaming at times. Um, But yeah, that's interesting. That's an interesting question. I mean, writing fantasy, sometimes it just kind of like takes over which dreams do too. So maybe I'd have to think deeper on that, but it's a great question. Yeah. Cause it was, I was going to say you were born to be a writer. If you're having this, you know, imaginative, dream that's playing out um it's it reminds me a lot of you know sitting down to write so you're born to be a writer that's I'm so grateful I'm a writer I'm so grateful I'm a writer I don't know how I'd process half the things in my life without without a creative outlet Uh, we agree we both are like artists and it's it's so important and like I it's part of my health if I am not like doing art or being able to like be creative at at all then like I mean I shut down and there I there have been periods in my life where I wasn't able to do that and I look back on those and those were some very dark times and um yeah so (laughs) talking about dark I do have there's a myth that I'm just in wondering what you think about it there's everybody says that if you die in your dream that supposedly that happens in real life do you believe this what do you think what's like i mean it's just a crazy little question i think every time i'm close to dying in my dream i wake up i mean we don't know right because there's no way to tell because if you died in your dream you're dead and you can't tell anybody about it <laughs> yeah so uh, I hope not. I've come close to death, I think, in my dreams. Or I've had those dreams where I have like a sleep paralysis where you can't move and that terrified feeling. But I've never died in my dreams because maybe I'd be dead in real life. There's a part of your book when I'm, I'm not going to go into too much detail because I don't want to ruin it, but I thought that was an amazing part in the very beginning when a character is visualizing seeing that happen. And it's just... um it made me think like, wow, like your dreams, just like, I mean, not that I take them for granted. I just wish I could remember more of them. And I wish I had the ability like you to be able to like, oh my gosh, go back to the same place. That is incredible to me. It's beautiful. It's a practice too. Um, I read something years ago and it says, before you fall asleep, you tell yourself, you know, we, 
our minds are amazing. You tell yourself, I'm going to wake up and remember my dreams. In the morning, I will remember my dreams. And my dream journal is literally in bed with me, um, just right there next to my pillow. And as soon as I wake up, I turn on my little bedside lamp and I write down even just the fragments. Um, but it's just a practice. I'm like, I'm going to remember my dreams. I'm going to remember my dreams. So you could try that. Our minds are really great at picking up messages we tell ourselves. Absolutely. I definitely will. I fall asleep with my Kindle every night, <laughs> every single night. <laughs> and usually there's a little drool on it. So. Yay. <laughs> okay. So this question is a great time to bring up the graphic, the poster producer, Mian. Yay! <laughs> um, so we're going to get a good introduction of the characters and talk about the special gifts that each one has. If you could kind of go through. For those of you just on the podcast, we will try to um, have a link to this poster, but you could also go to our YouTube and watch this interview. Um, but if you could kind of go through and introduce everyone and their special gifts. At the top, we have Saya wearing her necklace of protection. Saya is a seer slash dreamer, so she can enter another dimension. At the bottom of the poster, we have the other protagonist, Indir, and her eyes are closed, and she has the same gift, but with a lot of heavy secrets attached to it. Just over her shoulders are her sisters, um, Delu and Zeri, they're dreamers who have slightly different abilities. One dreams possibilities, one dreams weather patterns and crops and things like that. With the headdress, we have the evil, well, I don't want to say evil, but let's just say somebody who is working from, who's acting from some very deep trauma. We have Alkan, who wants to be the next king of Alcanza. Um, he doesn't have any gifts except for a kind of being a jerk. Um, <laughs> next to him, we have Inko, who is a fire warrior. The fire warriors were people who were cast out of Alcanza generations ago, but they've come back. And he has the ability to manipulate fire. Um, let's see. Ooh, we have the Ilkan, who are my favorite characters. They are, um, in my head, I call them the Jaguarriors. They are these women warriors who, when they go into battle, take on the characteristics of jaguar. So they grow claws, fangs, their skin becomes mottled. They um, also can communicate with animals. Where Let's is that? See if I don't... They are the ones with the little headdresses and the claws on the necklaces. Gotcha. So, and then next to them wearing the red sash, we have Lal who is of the Litesh, and they are sacred singers who can sing um, healing into human bodies as well as um, kind of work with water. They're, they can manipulate water to um, kind of move their boats around the world and also have a beautiful relationship with the creatures of the sea. Um, I'm trying to see who else I can have. Oh, we have Ovis. We have Ovis, who is a romantic interest and he has kind of a little secret lineage that I won't give away um, but he is a warrior in the city of Alcanza and he is um, 
he's important to the book. He's a little love interest. And uh, yeah, but my favorites, I don't think my favorites, they don't show up to the very end of the book, but I think one of my favorite mm-hmm. characters isn't in here. Her name is Akal. And she's just so cool and laid back that I want to be her when I grow up. Agreed. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, the poster is beautiful. The it- The characters are beautiful. Um, the colorful images around them is that um kind of what the the sky and the dream is that kind of indicative to the description it is the uh, the dream world was so much fun to write it was just like just go off liz just go off and have fun and make it as wild and weird as you want it make the strangest creatures and I had so much fun writing the dreams, the dream sequences. Those, and it's not really the dream. I think the dream is a is a different dimension that people enter, and they call it the dream. But those were just mad. I'm like, I want to go there. I want to live there. I want to. I want to hang out with these weird critters. They were beautiful to read. Mm-hmm. They were gorgeous to read, and I I loved every bit of it. Real quickly, the um. In the picture that we we're just looking at, over the shoulder of Saya, is that like um, on like at because Saya's at the top, correct? Is that what you're mm-hmm. um, on the her, her right hand side? Did we like is that her? She's got like is that her mom? Oh, I believe that I have to look at the poster. Oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> oh, oh, that's um, I believe that's Salai. Yeah, her mom, who's kind of a jerk. You know, um, definitely have some uh, bad mothering as well as good mothering in this book. Strict. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then that must be her sisters next to her, like her her mom's sisters. Yeah. Oh, no, that's – oh, maybe that was Safi. I, I don't know which the characters are exactly. They're always changing oh. in my mind. I'm like, this one's Safi. This one's <laughs> Salai. But, um, yeah, oh, the twins. I love them. Kupi and Ishara, they are just – they are just, I, in my mind, I'm like, these two, if they were contemporary, would listen to so much heavy metal. <laughs> They'd be the auntie who'd be like, we're going to take you to the heart concert. Come on. You know, the, they are just such cool. I have a heavy metal auntie, so I can I have that experience. But I feel like the twin aunts are um, they're like the heavy metal aunties that you want to hang out with. That's awesome. We actually... Um have had some fun on our podcast by, by taking the like characters just from the Grishaverse and like putting them in like everyday jobs or trying to figure out what kind of music would they listen to and things like that. So that's awesome. That was a beautiful picture. I love that we actually, you already have a visual and um, for the fans to be able to look at because it's a gorgeous picture. Yeah, Marlene Solorio is the artist, and I just absolutely love her work. So I'm very grateful that I've had great artists to work with so far. Absolutely. And um, you can get that at, anybody can get that if they enter the, they just have to pre-order. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah, pre-order the book. I think you have until the first week of March, and you submit your receipt. There'll be a link in my um, Twitter bio, my little link tree to um, send your proof of purchase to Macmillan and they will send you this gorgeous poster. Awesome. And we will make sure to also have that link in our social medias. And so there were so many different types of gifts um, that I want out of the ones you explained. Do you, is there one that you definitely would like go more, more to like, 
Hmm. I mean, I feel like maybe I'm already a dreamer in some ways, you know, yeah. because I have such an intimate world with my, um, my, my own relationship to dreaming. So I would say kind of inherently I would, I would describe myself as a dreamer, but I would want, that's so rough because I love the Jaguar women. I love the Ilka and like, they're just such badasses. And I'm like, I want claws and to talk to the animals. I mean, I talk to the animals all the time. I'm kind of like the weird neighborhood animal lady out here um i have crows who are my friends and are always just hanging out on my balcony and bringing me gifts so um i'd probably be ilkan because they're pretty dope they're pretty dope and they have some incredible they just they're raw you know yeah. and kind of mysterious and uh I, I could handle that i would i want i wouldn't i only wear black and um leopard print that's my aesthetic so i want my skin to have like that jaguar print that would be really cool i loved in the in your in the story when like that when that would happen i just thought that was so incredible to like read about so terry do you like i definitely know that i would have to be at least starting now i might change my mind later i would want to be a dreamer for sure for like 100 percent. i would love to walk around the dream and just like, oh, that sounds so beautiful to me. I think it's kind of funny because when we've asked what order you wanted to be, you wanted to be a healer, but now you want to be Ilkhan. So, um, and then I'm kind of the opposite. I wanted to be a heart render and I kind of want to be a singer. So um, we kind of switched. <laughs> you did. <laughs> we did. <laughs> I mean, I should be Ilkhan because I am like the cat lady. Um, I bring like all the stray cats just like collect to me and we have a whole like conversation thing going on. <laughs> um, but maybe it's universe specific, you know, in the Grisha verse, that's who we are. And in this world of the dreamers and the waking world, it's just specific, you know, it's like, well, this is who I am over here and this is who I am over there. Oh my gosh. That's an amazing theory. Yeah. I love it. That has to be real. <laughs> I just I, I loved the singers. I felt yeah, I loved the singers very much. That's really cool, and uh, I just love it. So, <laughs> so yeah, is was there a specific character that you related to the most that kind of wrote in like your voice? I think Indir and Saya, the two protagonists, are both really close to me in different aspects of myself um, at different points in my life. Just figuring out different. Can you hear me? Um, different, figuring out your vulnerabilities and your strengths. Um, I wrote this book over nine, 10 years. And so when I read it and I had to rewrite it completely during pandemic, um, I just saw so many aspects of myself, like trying to discover my own sense of identity and power in the world. And so I, I was just saying to somebody, I feel like it, Indir in the beginning of the book is very different from the Indir you have at the end of the book. And when I started The Lost Dreamer, I was probably like Indir at the beginning of the book. And now I'm like Indir at the end of the book. Like I've been through, I've been through some things. Yeah. So I'm feeling a little bit more like rough edged and ragged and also really strong. So probably Indir. Incredible. Yeah, that's so cool. Uh, so how important was it for you to give queer and Latin people a spotlight in your story? 
Huge, huge. I don't think there's anybody really straight in my world, you know, and I wanted to build a specific, you know, a world that had queer world building in it. And I wanted brown folks. I wanted brown folks. I wanted queer folks. I wanted this beautiful, diverse. I mean, I think that heteronormativity is such a Western concept. You know, it's such something that was forced upon us by colonialism. That was not real. It's still not real. You know, it's just this very, um, it's been forced upon us and Catholicism and all sorts of things. Not that I'm Catholic, but, or, and I wasn't, but it was important to me to have that representation. I would have, I would have, had such a different experience as an adolescent if I had brown queer characters to identify with. So much pain that I went through trying to figure out my identity on my own. Um, if I had people to look to who looked like me, my life would have been very different. Yeah, well, and what's amazing is you're able to give that now. Like you're giving that gift to so many young people out there and it's it's an amazing gift because Grisha cast yes we um we we love the Grisha verse and we talk a lot about the Grisha verse and Lee Bardugo but we also are a queer podcast and we strongly support just representation um of queer and everybody it's just it's so important and it's amazing to now like because you never even read about queer characters, even in like fantasy. Fantasy was always just like, I mean, just, it just wasn't in there, but it's so amazing. I am, um, have you read Aiden Thomas's Cemetery Boys by chance? Yeah, absolutely. Oh yeah. I mean, that was, you have, that book could not have existed when I was a teenager. Nope. I, you know, and that visibility is so important. I mean, just, I imagine how many kids are seeing themselves in those characters and not all, and it's not necessarily a struggle. I, you know, narrative of, you know, trans identity, it's just accepted and loved and seen, which is so huge, which is so huge. Agreed. It, it was a huge moment for me. I remember when we actually got to interview Lee that, um, it was a subject that came up and at that time she, it hadn't been published yet, but she said she had read the arc and she suggested I read it. Well, when I did, I had no clue what I was getting into and like, I couldn't put it down because like it, it, I am not trans, but I'm a, like, I, the way that that book was written it is so positive and it helps. I'm, I know it can help so many people out there because it talked about the struggle, but it also talked about just normal feelings and just like, it was an incredible, incredible look um, that I feel like so many kids out there are going to get something out of it. And what's amazing is the story also was a really cool fantasy story and tied in and just like it was beautiful it was amazing i've never read anything like that book um and i think the first representation of queerness i read was like the autobiography of lana turner's daughter when i was like 11 years old 
you know wow. but if there were like fantasy books that had queerness in them oh it would have I would have had so many better options yeah at that point in my life and building this world you know I did there's really no there's one romantic relationship in or like one main romantic relationship that's centered in the narrative and I didn't want to necessarily center romantic love it's about community love it's about sisterhood it's about family love and discovering your own family but I, I tried, you know, there's a scene toward the beginning of the book where there's like the flirtation dances where people gather by desire and how it's always fluid. You know, even within the dance, you can change how you're dancing with what desire you're feeling at that moment. Um, I just wanted that in the world. I'm like, yes, there's fluidity in desire, in gender, in from one moment to the next, it can change. Absolutely. And I hope that you can answer this question because it won't give away too much, but there's a beautiful ceremony that you have created within this book. Um, do you feel comfortable sharing? Is that too much or? I mean, it's a, it's a little bit, it, I don't mind sharing it. I, um, there is in this book a queer insemination ceremony and I'm getting emotional thinking about it. When I was working on this book, two of my best friends were in the process. Um, I married them. I officiated their wedding, Leah and Allie. And they were in the process of um, having a child. And they were both really sad about how much of the birthing process was so heteronormative. Even the birthing classes they went to were like, well, the night that you made love to create your child. And they're like, no, we created our child in a lab with a syringe. And, you know, it's kind of heartbreaking that that isn't visible in the world. And I was like, I got you. I got you. And it takes place, that narrative is specific to the Saya narrative, but it's mentioned in the India narrative. So to write that the ceremony of the nightbird exists across this great swath of land is that it's normalized, that conception is a sacred act no matter what bodies are involved. The choice to conceive and create a family. There's um, a woman who's acting as the surrogate in that scene and she's nesting. And I wanted to give a sacred name to, um, to children who are born from non-traditional conception, you know, the children of Nightbird, that this is a beautiful sacred act, no matter how it comes about. And um, I got to hang out with the little Nightbird baby today. It was actually, I took, mm -hmm. I took a copy of the book and, um, and I, you know, she's three years old now and a, or two and a half. And I was like, yeah, you inspired, like, she has no idea what I'm saying, but like, you inspired this, like your existence in this world inspired this ceremony. And it means so much to me. That's, so one of the most beautiful things I've ever heard of my life. <laughs> I know it it's gorgeous. So listeners out there, this book is incredible. I know we like we're talking about it a lot, but I mean it really has those moments that um that ceremony is is gorgeous and um I just and so creative. It's just an And it involves the community. It's not just a ceremony between two people. It involves the community, which is such a part of the queer identity. Is like having these beautiful communities and it's a beautiful ceremony with ritual and offerings and music and it takes place on the sacred part of the moon and I just I'm like I wanted I wanted a sacred name I wanted us to have 
a sacred name for a sacred act of creation. It's gorgeous. And Thank you. Yeah, my husband and I actually just a year ago actually officially adopted our son um, that we had been. Congratulations. Uh, thanks. And it was, um, we had we had foster hit, fostered him at first. And um, actually, what's funny is the timeline is pretty much when I started GrishaCast is the exact same time that I he came in as a foster child. And um, anyways, we have... Um, yeah, he's now our son, and um, we um, we adopted him during the co- during COVID, like during quarantine time. So it was really interesting. You didn't get to we didn't get to go to a courthouse. We did it all through Zoom, which was mm-hmm. interesting. But um, when I was reading about the ceremony, it just um, it reminds me so much of that. And just um, when you bring up community, and that's a beautiful part of creating a family. And I think so much about Caden and how it our family is part of our community and that's a huge part of it and it's um so it's an it's a beautiful thing that you added in there and I just um yeah so I just wanted to thank you and thank you I I mean I hope the world receives it well I hope the receive I hope I just I want it I hope you don't know how it's going to land until it's out in the world and so I hope that some child out there who's a teenager or whatever reading it is like you know, gets to be like, hey, you know, dad and dad or mom and mom or whatever, like, we have a name, like, I, this is, you know, like, we, I was conceived by Nightbird, whether that was, you know, just like the syringe or whatever to say, do you have a sacred name because you came from a sacred act, a sacred choice? It's beautiful. Absolutely gorgeous. Thank you. So, and hey, but just by you saying and thinking you're not sure how it's going to land, it will be fine and perfect. We got your back, so don't worry. I mean, it's going to be... I'm like, I cast. It's going to come for you. Yeah, we ain't scared. Mm-hmm. I'm no stranger to cutting people, mm-hmm. so... No, I will get my heels out, and we will just stomp no, it's all a, over. It's a thing of beauty, so it will be received well. It will. There's no way... It, yeah, it's it's gorgeous. So, Thank you. I say my ancestors handle my vengeance. That's always my tagline. I'm like, I don't cut people. I don't fight people. I have some really angry ancestors. They can handle it. There you go. (laughs) We've kind of touched on this question a little bit, but how much of Liz Fuerta is embedded within these pages? And we kind of already discussed it, but asking you now, like, I mean, how much of you is in this book? I think so much of me in this book. I think that for me, this book was this tremendous healing process to write. You know, it took a long time to write. And then over the last, um, oh, through pandemic, when I had to rewrite the entire thing, I had to go kind of into this like emotional underworld and do a lot of personal excavation and really examine a lot of my own vulnerabilities and fears. And that all went into the book. And it's really vulnerable and it's really scary. And I'm also really proud of how brave I was to do this. Um, and I think there's aspects of me in every character. Sometimes I feel like I'm Nahi, the Ilkhan, just like I'm a badass in the jungle. Uh, very much, you know, one of the characters I feel very um, connected to is Yishu, um, who I wrote. I'm, I have diagnosed ADHD and so is she, you know, she just says the most inappropriate things at the most inappropriate moments. She has no filter. And I'm like, that's, that's me. 
Same here. (laughs) (laughs) That's why my lovely best friend is, um, she, she can call me, her and my husband are the only two people in this world who really know how, like, I mean, they, they handle me and deal with it, but they also are the two people that can ground me. Um, and they just, um, they know when to help me stop because I never know when to stop. <laughs> Being neurospicy is a gift. It, I like that. It's got a lot of gifts to it. <laughs> That's great. Finally. Yeah, neurospicy is good. I like that. I have an autistic son, so that I'll, uh, I'll, I'll tag that on him too. <laughs> it's, I, I got it from TikTok. You know, somebody's like, I'm neurospicy. And I'm like, oh, me too. I'm neurospicy. Claim that. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Uh, okay. There is a part in the novel where a choice is kind of made. So if you had to choose which peoples from your novel to live with, I think I know the answer to this. Which would you choose? See, that's funny because now I want to go to the islands with the Litesh, you know, I want to be out, you know, I kind of wrote them to be more kind of like a Pacifica culture, like they're Samoan or Tongan or Hawaiian. Um, and I kind of want to go kick it with them in their beautiful islands and, you know, swim with their creatures and lay in the sun and just kind of be fabulous and sing and heal, um, I like the Ilkan a lot. I could live with them, but I'm also really sensitive to insect bites. I'm like, there's a lot of, there's a lot of jungle, there's a lot of jungle insects and I'm really allergic. You brought it up in the book and I love that because (laughs) I, when it came up to that part about like, just like insects and going through the jungle, I was like, oh my God, yes, I, I I love nature, but bugs, no, not so much. Like, mm -mm, I'm not good with all that. I'm really allergic, so I just swell up every time I get any sort of mosquito bite or any kind of bite. I just, I get real lumpy real fast, and we've already discussed I'm vain. I don't want to be lumpy. Mm. Wow. What was the, I'm sorry, I just can't remember, the people that fly on the big birds. The Iran, the Iran. They just have the name Air in it, A-I-R, the Iran. Um, Yeah, they're, they, they kind of have like this, they, I don't really show where they're from in this book, but you'll see it more in the next book. They intrigue me. So that's why I'm excited to hear more about it from the next book. Yeah, and, they're a little secretive. I like them. Hey, yeah. And you got to have a sequel. So, Sue, so, if you could live in any other fantasy world besides your own, where would you live? Mm. I love this question. I, I, that's really hard because like as a brown woman, where am I going to be safe <laughs> in so much of the fantasy that exists? I'm like, am I going to be safe? I'm not going to be safe in the Shire. I don't think, you know, <laughs> uh, I, I would say, um, I'll probably go back to my favorite, like urban fantasy writer, Charles DeLint. He has, um, the city of Newford that he writes about over and over again. And I'd probably live there just because he has a really queer, funky cast of characters that I could see myself getting into lots of trouble with. Sounds fun. Mm. I want to ask you that question. <laughs> see, I'm not a big, okay. 
I co-host a fantasy podcast, but I'm not a huge fantasy reader. So I don't know a lot of the worlds. Um, Cause like, I don't want to go, I mean, Outlander is my favorite like series ever, but I don't want to live in the past. I don't want to do that. I enjoy my hot water. Um, I had a whole discussion. Plumbing. <laughs> Plumbing. Plumbing is important. I had a whole yeah. like discussion with my youngest son about that, about, cause he enjoys hot water too. And we were like, we cannot live with the hot water. Um, and all the fantasy worlds seem very dangerous. So like, mm-hmm. I don't really want, I mean, like maybe Kurt. In the Six of Crows, because it's dirty, dingy. It's very if you since you haven't read it, it's it's very um, Peaky Blinders ish. Mm. Amsterdam, um, London in the industrial period, kind of, and that's mm. very intriguing to me. I like dirty, dingy, so it, I guess that would be my answer. Yeah, the Grisha verse. Like, I mean, the Kirch is neat. Um, I do encourage you to watch the show. Um, that's a really... It's, I it's, started watching more. I started watching more. I watched a couple of episodes last night before I switched to Cosmos. Oh, well there, well, there you go. Because that ties in the story that you read and also the Six of Crows story. So, um, okay. yeah. Um, well, I'm going to answer as well um, because I have to. But you already know my answer. Uh-huh. Yep. Um, and half of the... Well, I... So growing up, I was obsessed with the fairy books that um, I used to just the art fairy books that I used to read by Brian Froud. And anyways, um, Lee Bardugo's great friend, Holly Black, um, wrote The Cruel Prince and Elfheim is I would live there without a doubt. And um, yes, I am. I would love to live in a fairyland um, because I also totally believe that it's real. It Good is. fairies, bad fairies, the book that flipped over. <gasps> That's my favorite uh, one. My, I know, I have it signed. He, <gasps> um, I met Brian Froud at the Labyrinth of Jareth Masquerade Ball. Have you heard of this? No, but keep talking. I might. Every year there's a masquerade ball based on the movie Labyrinth, <gasps> a Labyrinth of Jareth, and it's a cosplay masquerade ball. And your, your face, you're killing me. And so I met Brian Froud and Toby, his son, who played Toby in the movie Labyrinth at the Masquerade Ball in 1998 or 1999. And I brought my fairy book because I knew he would be there. And he signed it and drew a fairy for me. Oh, my God. I love that you know what I'm talking about. And it's the best book. It's the best book. Isn't it? Like, And I'm going to geek out for a second here. My favorite thing to do in the world, and I've done this since I, when I was when I was younger, because that big that book was a lot bigger when I was younger because I was small. But my favorite thing to do would be sit on my bed and I'd put the book up on my chest, and it was so big at that time that like I mean I couldn't really see over it, and I'd go from page to page and reading through it. If you actually start from the beginning, you do like have a progression where you enter fairyland, and like I. That was my place, like, because the pictures are so gorgeous and, like... And body diversity. It's not just skinny little wafy mm. fairies. There are matronly fairies with these big pendulous breasts and giant thighs that are just gorgeous. I mean, the body diversity of the fairies is actually really wonderful in that book. Yeah, it, it's gorgeous. And I love that you love the my because everyone loves fairies, the first one, but that... Good fairies, bad fairies is my absolute favorite and always has been. 
So, oh, that's awesome. I can't believe you met Brian Frown. I see you. <laughs> oh my God. Yes. So if you haven't, have you read um, A Cruel Prince? By I Chad? haven't. Okay. I just think when you have some time, I encourage you to pick it up just because if you love like Brian Froud, then this will be amazing to you. Cause it was for me. I am, I was actually very nervous to read it because, you know, someone saying, Oh, it's about a fairyland. I'm like, Oh, well it's not, no one can write about the fairyland that I love. Like my, cause mine's dangerous and all that. Like they're going to make it all like, I don't want it Tinkerbell. And that's no. what I was all nervous about. And it is, it's incredible. So pretty fairies. I'm in. Yeah. And now I'm on this whole other, like, I, I can find so many books on fairylands that are so cool and dark and anyways. Okay. Well, thank you for letting me um, geek out with you about that. <laughs> um, so uh, random question. And I'm asking this for my son because okay. he had to ask Lee this question when I asked him, what is your favorite ice cream? Oh, I love sorbet. Um, so I, I'm real... I besides being neurospicy, I just like spicy in general. So there's this ice cream you could get in Mexico and here in San Diego because we're border town called a um, diablito, which means a little devil. And it is either it's usually a lime sorbet covered in a chile sauce with chile powder on it, and then some tamarind pieces thrown in. So I like my ice cream sour and spicy, and it is so delicious just let you know my husband producer just like came up and put a thumbs up in the window because and i (laughs) like when you were describing it i was like that's my husband because we love spicy food i like spicy food um we love thai food however my husband like when i when we go i'll get like level three because you know on the menu it says one through five my husband will get 10 or 15 and isn't joking and I travel with hot sauce packets. Oh, that's awesome. Mm. <laughs> I wish you could. Chris, we got to get your microphone working so other people don't think we're just talking like randomly. Anyways. Well, awesome. I love tamarind, but I don't know if I want my ice cream to be. You have to try it. Anything so but. Good. I mean, I would try it. I, I'll try just about everything once. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, I like. I like my sweet, but I, I do love tamarind. Do love do love tamarind very much. I heard a weird, it was a long time ago. I don't know if this is true, but someone said that like somewhere in Europe, they would put black pepper on vanilla ice cream because it enhanced the flavor. And this is probably the first time I've ever even spoken this out loud. Um, but I've always wondered, I was like, is that true? Because yeah. I can understand like spices do help that like i know i've had black pepper on strawberry sorbet which is really good with Mm. a little bit of black pepper and um, balsamic vinegar on a strawberry sorbet it's actually really delicious so it brings out maybe like the sweetness yeah it's a really interesting kind of counterbalance um i like really strong flavors so i will go for yeah i will go for like the strangest tasting like the the stinkier the cheese the more into it i was when i was in europe i was like give me the cheese that will knock me over. But I, maybe I'll try the black pepper on the vanilla. I have vanilla ice cream and black pepper. Why not? I'll experiment. I'll DM you, let you know. Please do. <laughs> yeah. I am. Um, and the reason I thought it might be true is because like 
Thai food is like that. Like, I feel like if you if you order Thai food and don't at least get like a little bit of spice level, then you're missing out on so many flavors, yeah. and people don't realize that. I mean, just but saying. Speaking of food, what's a food item that you could eat every single day? Maybe on the islands where we're singing. Ooh, let's oh, let's always pickles. <gasps> pickles. I am a pickle person. I could eat pickles all day every day they are and anything or, or when I was writing the lost dreamers salt and vinegar chips were my jam just wow. people would just drop them off on my doorstep because <laughs> they knew how much I loved them but salt and vinegar chips and pickles those are my two favorite flavors right there with you the what? dill pickle chips are very oh. similar to the salt and vinegar chips but with that dill flavor yes I, the, I will eat salsa with the dill pickle chips I <laughs> am a pickle person so, <laughs> so what, i'm right there with you what kind of pickle like i mean every talking? kind i mean i love dill pickles like a good cucumber spear i love pickled mm. beets i love pickled carrots um back when i lived in mexico in my early 20s i used to eat these things called cueritos which are pickled pigskin mm. um not something i eat anymore but uh <laughs> i would eat that back in the day um, but I just love anything pickled. Pickle. I've had pickled radishes. I mean, I, I, yeah, you put something in vinegar and let it ferment for a while, mm. bring it yes. to mama. There's a, I remember when I went to New York for the first time and I went with, of course, my, um, graduating class at my synagogue. Um, so we went and it was the first time I, have you ever tried a half sour pickle? Have you ever heard of it? it so it's, um, you can actually get them at the grocery store. Um, I know that I can get them here at Publix, and it's Bamonte is the like brand, and it's a kosher pickle. It's called Half Sour, and it's got this um, very strong cucumber flavor still hmm. with it, but it's also got this pickle. Um, it's very popular in kosher delis, um, but anyways... And look into that. I think you might be intrigued. I love half sour pickles. They're very, they don't taste like dill pickles, um, but they're great. I think you might like them. So I'll check it out. I mean, yeah, fermentation. I'm all about it. Mm -hmm. So what was your favorite activity during quarantine? Because this is something we can ask now. <laughs> oh, I was, I was, I was such a weirdo during quarantine and um, I, I was really hypervigilant, too, about going out and about because there was so little we knew about the virus, but I wanted to be active. So I ordered a mini trampoline, and I would just bounce. And it actually became part of my writing process where I would just, you know, bounce. And then I found these hilarious YouTube videos, and they were so funny. There was this Australian guy who goes, you need to do affirmations all on the trampoline and so i'd follow along and be like i am strong i am great i am beautiful <laughs> while jumping on a trampoline and it was so funny and ridiculous that i think just jumping on a trampoline was my favorite pandemic activity that was a very in, neuro spicy thing to do <laughs> very neuro spicy was it in your backyard or in your house it was in my living room i live in an apartment okay so uh, wow i've all I always wanted one of those huge trampolines. Um, I never That's had a little one. I loved those. I thought they were fun. Um, I just, 
That's neat. I think everybody went a little crazy during quarantine. Um, so, um, yeah. I befriended all my neighborhood animals, which is my sister. My One of my sisters said, you know, you're not snow white, you're snow brown. Because I have squirrels that come and hang out with me. I have the crow. The crow gets excited when I get home. Like today I drove up and the crow just swooped in, super excited. I have a mockingbird that comes and sings with me when I play ukulele on the balcony. What? Yeah, I just became like the neighborhood animal lady because I just started feeding them nuts and getting them to trust me. So um, I became the weirdo animal lady of my neighborhood. Have you by chance seen um, my octopus teacher on Netflix? So good. When you just mentioned, yeah, okay, yeah, same here. I was bawling my eyes out. Um, Yeah, that was crazy movie but when you started mentioning about feeding like the animals and gaining their trust that's when I was like my octopus teacher oh my god so beautiful so beautiful I know um if you haven't watched that out there listeners it's on Netflix it's a documentary that oh yeah I think we talked about it for a good 45 minutes on one I never episode. yeah I probably yeah I made everybody in my life watch it and if you didn't cry at the end I hung up on you <laughs> because I was a big old ball of tears that was so emotional. i mean and it's like really you can't eat octopus anymore like after a while oh i know nope Mm-mm. sorry it's like no sorry no none of that ceviche no no, more, no thanks no more calamari so all right so one question i was looking forward to and i had to add in here <laughs> we read that uh tori amos inspired young liz we are pure tori stands here um, so if you want to geek out about your favorite album songs, concerts, and will we ever get to read any of those angsty teen poems? I was thinking of doing a TikTok series of reading my angsty teen poems while dressed the way I dressed as, it, well, I guess the way I dress now, all black. Um, so I'm actually thinking of reading some of those terrible, they're so terrible. They make me laugh. I'm thinking of reading them on TikTok to kind of honor all versions of myself as a writer and Tori forever. I love boys for Pele choir from the choir girl hotel, Mm -hmm. little earthquakes. The first time I saw Tori Amos was on some weird pay-per-view music video channel that played like in the early nineties. I think I was 11 or 12 years old, and I saw Silent all these years, and I was like, who is this weirdo mm-hmm. in the box rolling around with this pain in her voice and this beauty? I just, I fell in love. I fell in love, and I was a hardcore Tory fan all through high school. Then I became a thespian because all the, we all hung out together, um, the Tory fans, and I went to concerts. Um, she's coming on tour. I, the day she announced her tour, I had like 12 text messages from people going, guess what? Um, yeah, I, I felt that there was a part of her that let me be brave in ways that um, I didn't know how to be on my own and vulnerable and raw. So Tori, I love her. Yeah. Yeah, she is my personal goddess. I had um, a few times where I had the ability to actually meet her and talk to her, and I refused wow. to do it because you never want to meet those people and, and give them, like, a personality. So she will forever just be, like, that out-of-reach like goddess to me. Yeah. yeah. 
She's beautiful. And yeah, we, um, what's funny is we went to the same high school, but we were in different, like, I mean, I was a freshman when she was a senior, so we didn't really get, we didn't really like, we knew each other and we liked each other, but we didn't really like hang out in high school. Um, it wasn't until later in life that we became like besties and our whole world collided. But um, we did always see each other at Tori Amos concerts. And um, I just remember my first, like I, I got introduced by Tori by my brother and it was like, I was really young and he, I guess he, whoever he was going to see Tori with like canceled and he decided to invite me and I had no clue oh. who I was. I don't know. I definitely wasn't even like I was in middle school and it was for the boys for Pele tour. Oh, and so he played on the way there. He played caught a light sneeze for me. And I was like, okay, that's cool. And I just, I remember I went, he bought me like the beautiful like book of like that came for that tour. And I have my books too. I have my Tory tour books. Yeah. Oh my God. I will never get rid of those. I love them. They're beautiful, but yeah, I, she's amazing. I think Tori brings out a beautiful part of every, like, it's just this creative soul that, and just the way she sings, it's just, it's so important. And everybody's got their favorite like albums and reasons and things like, it's just her music today still is like beautiful. Like, I mean, I know she's going on tour, but I it, did she announce the North American tour yet? Or last time I checked, it was... I think so, because I think she's going to be in San Diego in June. So a bunch of people are like, are you going to be at the show? And I'm like, I don't I don't know. I haven't been to a show in so long. I don't know if I can go back to that life yet. Well, you can. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. So real quickly, I just wanted to ask, like, and so we do have a lot of um, writers listen or, you know, listeners that are trying to trying to write and there's so many different ways and formats do you have any advice that you can give to upcoming or new writers um maybe even like um to any specifically to queer or of color um authors trying to figure out how to break the mold or yeah i know that's a lot of questions so oh no i think it's a good question i think it's you know i I always come back to trust yourself. You know way more than you think you do. And nobody can write the way you do. So just continue writing. Find your voice. Find the story that won't leave you alone. And stick to that. And find your community. Don't do this networking crap where it's just very like, I'm going to meet this person and this person, this triangulation. Find your community. Find the people um, who are writers they don't have to be in your genre, but the ones that you vibe with, that you resonate with, who will both challenge you and uplift you, because I, I would not be here without my community at all, at all. Um, and you could do that. You can find it online. You can find it through workshops. There's so many great workshops and scholarships available and financial aid. Um, find your community and find your voice and read widely and stick to it. I think a lot of it is a numbers game. There's so many writers I know who are incredibly talented and for so many reasons are just, they had enough rejections where they just quit. And I'm like, you have to just keep going. Um, it, there, it requires a certain amount of just stubbornness. You just have to be stubborn long enough. Wow. That's some really good advice. Um, Cause I know there's a lot of people out there that try and they, they do get bummed out over just trying to get, 
they just keep getting rejected. And that's got to be hard having that happen over and over again. Do you have a certain format that you do for, like, writing? Um, like, do you just start writing from the very beginning and go all the way to the end? Or do you have, like, do you do, I don't know, you think of a chapter that you really want to write that day and you do that? Is there, do you have a style or... I have, I write towards a moment, you know, um, I write, like, I know what the kind of, I want the feeling to be. And I kind of write towards that. Like I knew what the ending of the lost dreamer had to be, but I didn't necessarily know how I was going to get there. Awesome. So, um, trusting the process. I do write, I have little, my notes app on my phone is wild. It's just filled with tons of notes for ideas for, um, parts of the book or the next book or other books I haven't started yet. And it all, and then I just kind of like sit with it and see what shows up and go from there. I don't think, I don't think any, I think every writer's process is unique. You know, there's people who are really disciplined and do outlines and are just really good. I'm not that way. I'm just like, I call myself the instant pot. Like I do really well (laughs) in high pressure, low timeline situations. That's awesome. I love that. I think that's incredible. So um, what is upcoming? What are your, do you have any projects planned in the future? The sequel to The Lost Dreamer is very deep in process. And then I have, um, I have a couple of other books that I have this really fun kind of like nuns and pirates book that's in the same world of the lost dreamer, but just like probably a few thousand years in the future that I've been working on. Um, and that's a lot of fun. I kind of cheat on my book in progress with that book. You know, I think it's always important to have a side piece creatively, um, to refresh the energy. And so I have that. And then I have this really kind of poignant YA novel. That's pretty heartbreaking. That's contemporary that I would love to, bring into the world one day um and it's just it's a it's really heartbreaking and beautiful because I love that stuff and so does everybody else we love to be have our hearts broken by beauty absolutely um all I ask is please make a map I would love I love maps and I would love to see a map of in the sequel so oh absolutely yeah so my recommendation (laughs) (laughs) well thank you we look forward to the next projects very much. And, thank you. And thank you so very much for speaking with us. Yeah. And thank you so much for answering all our questions. I know it went a, a little long, but we had such That's a great fine. time. I mean, you know what? I'm, re- I'm really excited to talk to you too. I mean, I love listening to the episodes and you're so much fun. And it's, you know, as we say in California, just real good energy. So I'm down for real good energy. That's awesome. Oh, thanks. Well, well, it was a lot of fun talking to you. We really appreciated it. It was. And um, listeners out there, please um, make sure to mark your calendars. March 1st, go get The Lost Dreamer or go and pre-order it. You can get that beautiful, beautiful poster. We definitely recommend it. It's a wonderful novel. So um, thank you so much, Liz. It was incredible to have this conversation with you and a truly, truly honor. Thank you so much. I'm so happy. Hopefully I'll be back for the next book. Absolutely. We will. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Bye.
That was such a good conversation. We enjoyed that so much. Please be sure to check out her book on March 1st. We highly, highly recommend it. Also, be sure to check the description box of both YouTube and the podcast for a way to win that uh, poster and to view the poster. Absolutely. And next week, we will be going back to Lives of Saints and discussing Sankt Damian, Sankt Maria, Sankt Emmerins, and Sankt Vladimir, which is pages 41 through 55. Long live the Grishaverse! Like, we're at the end of the hour, so my voice is a little husky. It was. No mourners. No funerals. This has been GrishaCast. Connect with us on the web at GrishaCast.com. Send an email to info at GrishaCast.com. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, and TikTok at GrishaCast. Thank you so much to our guests, Liz Huerta, and our staff, Chris, Alex, Sid, Michelle, and Amber and Chloe. 